I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're happy to have the incredible Kat McCrory joining us again. Kat was recently a Pulitzer finalist, along with Neil Betty, for their work on Heartbroken, a Times investigation into problems at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital here in St. Petersburg. And she recently gave a brown bag to our staff to help guide them through some of the heavy lifting on reporting those kinds of stories. We figured it would be valuable to pass along her pointers. So today's topic, bulletproofing your investigation. So you've got a list. She's got a list, Lane. Long Thank list. goodness. Yes. It has bullets, okay. too, on it. And it has bullets. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have a whole episode on bullets in stories. And I've oh, I, no. I, I got I to bring Adam Playford on here, oh, and no. we can debate. Right. <laughs> People have very strong feelings they do. on bullets I know. in stories. Um, okay, so you've broken down sort of the notion of bulletproofing your investigation into three categories. Getting started, working with data, and before you publish. So let's just start walking through it. So the background your sources, you say, even the experts. Yeah, uh, it was. I was happy to have the opportunity to talk about bulletproofing a little bit because I think um, as as reporters, we we always know that we need to make time for a fact check, and that's something that's very important. But this whole concept of bulletproofing is something that you can bake into the whole process. Really, it's it's something you're doing when you're starting your reporting, when you are writing drafts, when you're editing, when you're going back to your sources. Um, so that's kind of where the the you know three pieces of the uh, of the process come into play here. Um, and this is stuff that may seem very basic, um, but I think is really important. So when we talk about backgrounding your sources, right, like you want to know why, uh, people are, are giving you this information, what their motivation is for giving you this information, and you want to know how they got it, um, and, and how they know what they are giving you is, is true. Um, I, I think there's a big difference between if somebody gives you something, uh, because they were in the room when a key decision was made and they're sharing that with you, or they are sharing a a document, you know, that they have firsthand knowledge of versus if you're hearing it from somebody who heard it from a friend who heard it from their second cousin, um, you know, uh, there, you just take that kind of information differently and, and, and you you challenge it differently. And sometimes you're hearing from people who are pretty detached. I mean, you're getting tips from people who might be, you know, I wasn't actually there, but it was my my sister, my brother, whatever, my cousin who was in the room. Right, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And you don't always know that going into the interview either, right? No, that's really true, too. I mean, that's something that you often have to figure out, you know, while you're while you're in the interview. And I, I think it's best to try to get as much of that information on the front end as possible, if you can, uh, before you're in that interview situation. But sometimes you don't have that luxury. 
um, you made the point in the brow bag to people that even the experts, because I think everybody has sort of, you know, they'll latch on to an expert, they'll look for, go hunting for an expert across the country, may not know anything about this person, and that it's worth it to make sure that you go, you find out their background as well. Yeah, I think that's critically important because in the investigations and, and in the stories that we write, even for the, the daily, right, I mean, oftentimes we're looking for that money quote, we're looking for uh, an expert who can say, wow, this is absolutely crazy and here's why. Um, but you want to make sure that that person doesn't have any perverse motivation for saying that. And you want to make sure that that person doesn't have any baggage, uh, you know, that could cause their comment uh, or your story to be called into question. Well, and e- even the, the best experts will have their own agendas. Too, That's right? true. Yeah. yeah, everybody has their own agendas. And that isn't to say that you can't use somebody because they have an agenda, but you need to know what that agenda is. Okay, so you say next next on your list, know where all your records and data come from. Yeah, it's it's along the same lines. You want to know um, what it is you're looking at, uh, how you can prove that it is authentic. Uh, you want to make sure that your records or your data, uh, you know, it's it's complete. It's not missing something because there are situations where people can give you a slice of data or a certain record that paints things in in a particular way versus giving you all of the information that you need to, uh, to, to really get to the truth of the matter. Um, so, you know, we, when we get uh, a cache of documents handed to us, we try to figure out, well, uh, is this a public record? You know, is there a custodian, uh, an official custodian that we can op- request this from just to make sure that this, this data or this record set is, is complete? Um, is there somebody else that might have this information that we can get just to really be sure it's authentic? Um, and then again, thinking about the motivation of the person who gave it to you. That's also very important. Seek out documents that prove what sources are saying, even if you can't or don't need to publish them. Yeah, so. this is kind of my, my don't take anybody's word for it type thing. Um, it's you know. like if your mother loves you, yeah, check, check it, out. it out. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, there are going to be some times when you're, you're getting information, you can't necessarily attach anybody's name to it. Um, and even in cases when you have, you know, somebody saying something and you can attach their name to it, you know, in an investigation, you need to be sure that this is real. You know, you need to be sure that this is true. Um, and there are different ways that you can seek out documents to make sure that that information is true. So you can look to the public record. You know, if somebody says that they uh, they got in a car crash on this date, you can pull the police report from, you know, from that incident. Um, you know, or if you're talking to a whistleblower who's describing uh, with the moment when he, he blew the whistle, you know, find out, did he send a text message to his wife that day saying, oh, you'll never guess what just happened? Or did he email a friend? Um, does he have a journal that he keeps, you know, uh, and, and this isn't necessarily going to prove anything, but it's going to help to build that body of evidence that what happened is, is truly what happened so that you know it in your bones. Yeah. So you're talking public documents, but also personal anything, text, yeah. text emails, posts on social media, journals, notes they took, whatever. Right? There, you're, there's some situations where you're not going to be able to publish that or where you don't need to publish that, but you do Just need to build that body confident. of evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Well, lots of databases are based on other databases, too. So how far back do you keep digging till you know what the context is on this? Uh, I think that's something that you probably figure out on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, if it, is the, if it is the centerpiece of your, of your story, if it is the spine of your story, then you want to dig as far back as you can to make sure you know that it's true. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in different situations, you might not go that far. 
Do you look for other depend. people refuting it too? Yeah, you look for other people confirming it and, and refuting it as well. I mean, it's it's kind of this idea that you don't want to be surprised by anything after you publish it. So you really want to do exhaustive work to make sure the, the premise you know of your story is true. So you say, here's one that had some conversation during the brown bag, interview the subject of your investigation as early as possible, which isn't what you always did. It's not what you used to do necessarily, it's but you start to do now. It's not what I thought uh, investigative reporters did necessarily. I, I wonder if, um, I don't know, when you see in the movies when the investigative reporters are working on big scoops, you know, they don't they don't tell anybody. They wait they, for the big gotcha. Exactly. Yes. They work in secret. They wait for that gotcha. Um, they don't even tell their coworkers. Right. And they give you five minutes to respond. <laughs> and then the and then the big six column Friday headlines. Three. <laughs> yeah, right. The presses start rolling. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, uh, look, if you're going to be investing... Uh, six months, eight months, ten months into a story, uh, it, it's good to know if the premise of your story is is true. It's good to know if you are, you know, going down the right path or if you are really embarking on a project based on a set of totally false assumptions. Um, you know, and, and to that end, speaking with the investigation or with the with the subject of the investigation to to let them know, hey, we're we're looking into this. Is there any background information you can give me? Is there any uh, you know, help me understand the, the chronology. Help me understand uh, what's going on here, what the what the system looks like, who the key players are, and give them a chance to have their say early so you can factor that into your thinking. Do you yeah. worry about them fixing it, though? I mean, I asked that because I just listened to Ann Hall talk about their big investigation at Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. And she said they kind of went through their bullet points with the people, their findings ahead mm-hmm. of time, but they withheld the one about this one terrible wing that was in the worst condition in this medical center because they didn't want them to go fix up this wing before the story came to publication. Yeah, and that that came up during the brown bag. Like, well, what would happen if they kind of, you know, preempt your your story by doing the right thing? Uh, well, then they preempt your story by doing the right thing, and you write that. You know what I mean? Then then you can lay out the findings that you had, and so that they, they fixed it. Show a difference you made. Exactly, exactly. And, and we've seen stories do that before, where reporters start poking at something, um, and before a story can be finished, you know, the, the subject, the investigation changes things or does the right thing and I don't think that makes the stories any less uh, effective you know and in fact they that means you've had tremendous impact well and then we talked about how this could be good fodder for the story too because if somebody who you're talking to early on is telling you hey no problem here you know keep moving there's nothing to see here and then you come to find out you have a big investigation then you can quote them early on saying you know exactly they tried to divert you from it or you know say like there's nothing say it there. wasn't a thing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You say poke holes in your analysis and theories. Yeah, it's really critical that you are poking holes in your theories throughout. Um, you know, uh, it, in, in some senses, it makes the work feel sometimes a little bit like defeating, you know, because you work really hard and then you, you come up with this theory and then, you, you know, you sit in a room with your colleagues and you shoot it down. <laughs> um, but that's that's part of the process and that's important. I mean, that's how you ultimately get to the to the truth in these things. Um Sort of like the peer review process of it, academia, right? Exactly, exactly. And you have to be rigorous. And, and being rigorous involves poking holes in your theories and finding flaws with your analyses. You say, stay organized. Oh, this one's really important. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you are working on something for, you know, like for a year, um, you, you could be finding information in January that you're going to want to turn into an actual story in November, you know. 
Um, and I feel like in that, in that window, um, you know, recollections could get hazy. You could not, uh, maybe understand how you got from point A to point B. Um, and you really need everything just to be totally buttoned up and, and totally accurate. Um, and I, I think the way to stay on top of that is to be very, very organized to make sure you know where all of your documents are, to highlight things, to annotate things, to have them easily um, accessible at all points in the reporting process. And um, and to stay just to stay really organized by writing memos to yourself and keeping lists of your findings. Be professional, you say. Be professional. We should we should always be professional. Um, <laughs> but in in terms of being professional here, what I mean is, um, we when you're doing an investigation, uh, you really need to stay neutral. Um, when you are having any type of communications with subjects with sources, um, you know, uh, in emails, in Slack messages, even in text messages, uh, you need to just maintain. That, that level of objectivity. Um, I, I mentioned that, you know, we did the story where we were writing about children who had died um, in the heart surgery program uh, at our local hospital, and we would talk to the, the parents. Um, you know, they were, they were important sources for us. Um, hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, and, and you can be a human being and you can hug somebody and you can say, I am so, so sorry for your loss, you know, but you, you can't say, let's get them. <laughs> you know, you, you really just need to be neutral. And you don't, and you may not know at that point exactly. whether that's really true, that something awful happened, for, right. you know? Right. Um, so working with data which, um, of course, you guys did a lot for the Heartbroken Project. You say, look for potential flaws, missing fields, duplicate records, misspellings. Yeah, if, if your data is wrong, your story is going to be wrong. So you need to make sure that uh, the data is right. Um, there are uh, potential pitfalls all over the place. I mean, if there are missing fields, um, that's a problem. You know, if there are tons of duplicates and you're trying to count, that's a problem. Um, things can sometimes be spelled incorrectly so you can't find them on a traditional search uh, so one of the, the the best things to do is to really take stock of the data look at the data when you first get it and even reach out to people who know the data better than you do um, to those experts and say what are the potential problems with this data set what should I be looking for um, how do I guarantee that this is all right uh, you say check it against your shoe leather leather reporting and what you know to be true yeah, um, that's kind of a, an easy way to find mistakes in the data sometimes. And log any changes you make to the data. Again, so you, again, it's all sort of under that be organized, keeping track of everything, making sure that if you, something comes up later, you know exactly what you did. Right, exactly. I mean, there are cases where, where your data might have uh, a column for 
the the street address for the the number, a separate column for the name of the street, and then another column for Drive Avenue, you know, Boulevard, whatever it is. I mean, even if you do something as simple as as condensing those three such that you only have one column for address, you need to log all of the changes that you're making. Um, And better yet, save a copy of the data in its very fresh, original form um, so that you're not manipulating it to, to be something that it's not. You talk about keeping detailed notes on how you did the analysis so you can easily replicate it. Yeah. And also, I guess, so you can explain it to the public. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, you want to know how you got from point A to point B, uh, and you want to be able to do that again when we go back and we make sure everything is, is perfect and we, you know, recalculate all of these numbers. You want to know what your methodology was so that you can do that. What keeps you motivated on that part of the process? Because to me, data work is so exacting and so, um, you know, I, I guess my brain doesn't function quite that well with that. I mean, what so is it just like coffee? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's an interesting question. I hated math. Um, I absolutely hated math in school. Um, but there was still something really, um, exciting when you got the right answer, right? Because it just, it's, it's exact. It's a miracle. Well, it's a miracle, (laughs) but you know, like, you know, you have done everything right. Um, and when you can use data to show that, yes, there was a problem here. Something went wrong here. Yes. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's a get, it's a get. And I can form, you know, the spine of your story. Um, so that's, that to me is exciting. Um, then you've got some advice for before you publish. Uh, leave enough time for a thorough fact check. And yeah. I think that is a process, right? That reporters hate, absolutely hate, but it's so important. Don't rush your fact check. Don't rush your fact check. For for Heartbroken, the story we just did, Neil and I spent a full week on the fact check. So it was two of us, five days, and generally more than eight hours a day. Um I, I encourage people to come up with a method that works for them. Mine is a very old school method. I go through and I highlight every single fact in a story. And then I go and I, I check each fact in the story. I put a check mark on it. And if we're doing a, a big investigation, what I'll do is I will assign each fact a number. And then I will go back to the, the, the source document I will find that fact. I will make a copy of the source document. I will highlight the fact in the source document, and I will give that a little flag uh, with the same number as the fact. So I end up building these huge folders, um, which I can then bring to the attorneys when we when we talk about. Well, how do you know this, this, and this? I can say, oh, here, you know, here's the the hard copy proof. It do takes you, a long time. Do you remember how many numbered facts you had to check in Heartbroken? Oh, I wish I did. It's the folders hundreds? are huge. Oh, hundreds easily. Thousands. Yeah, probably thousands. You uh, you talk about don't overreach. And in fact, when you were doing the brown bag, you said embrace the gray. And I, I, I love that piece of advice because I don't, I think people, people, reporters and editors sometimes are eager to kind of try to lock it down. And sometimes we, you know, you got to be open about what you don't right, have. You're su- super hesitant to say, I don't know. Right. I don't right. understand. Right. And, and I mean, I think you need to do your best to lock down everything you can lock down. But I think there are some things that you can't lock down because not everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our readers appreciate when we tell them that there are some things that we don't we don't know. Uh, and we embrace that rather than trying to tie everything up with a with a nice bow. Life is life is messy. 
if I recall correctly, one of the one of the drafts of Heartbroken had an, an early draft had kids dying everywhere or something like that. There was a there was some language about kids, <laughs> and it was like, wait, wait, no, they're not. Wait, and the, but it was just sort of going through the editing. But that was one of those like, no, no, let's stick to what we. It's bad enough. <laughs> just what we have is bad enough. Yeah. Um, recalculate every number in the story. Check your math, in yes. other words. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you do need to, to check your math. And uh, my boss, Adam Playford, um, his advice. He's good for, at math. <laughs> very good at math. His advice um, on this point on recalculating every number in the story uh, is to try to do the analysis a different way. So um, if you had you know, done it doing a pivot table, try it again by, by filtering the data. Um, come up with a different, uh, a different method and make sure to the numbers are the same. see if you get the same, same result. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, no surprises. Yeah, this one's really important. Um, no surprises. We, uh, when when you are working on a, a huge investigation, you want to make sure that every uh, that each subject of that investigation and each source, frankly, um, is going to know not only what each of the findings were, but what the broader framing for the story is. And you want to make sure that each subject has ample time to digest what you are giving them and respond. Uh, you know, if you've worked on something for 18 months, it's unfair to give it to somebody in a day and say, respond to this right now, please. That really wasn't, I mean, I remember being raised up where it was sort of hold it all back and... Gotcha. Gotcha. Three o'clock on yeah. a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we're publishing Sunday. Yeah, yeah we're, we're about to publish this. Yeah, here you go. Give me your response and uh, yeah. Um, and we I, really, we, we think that, you know, you need to really bend over backwards to be fair um, and, and give people the opportunity to respond um, because it's the right thing to do. You know, it's a, if we're talking about the aim is to get, you know, is to get to the truth, let people have their say. And, and one phone call is, is not enough. You know, one unanswered phone call, try, uh, try another phone call, go to the person's house, send a letter, uh, send an email, you know, keep, keep pushing. And, you know, realistically, a lot of the times they're not going to solve whatever issue it is that you're writing about. Nobody's going to, it's not going to get all patched up right away or right. the, um, and you know, they're, they're likely not even going to talk to you sometimes, but just giving them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think it makes everybody sleep better. Yeah. Do you feel any kind of relief when they go, oh, I'm not going to talk to you? Then you can just go, okay, they're not going to talk to me. <laughs> or are you just like, like no, I'm going to get something for them to talk to me? Like, uh, I, I don't know if it's relief. Um, I, I don't know. I there are all different ways that people can, can respond to things. And sometimes they'll go point by point and, and try to rebut you. Sometimes, you know, they don't want to want to talk to you at all. Um I don't know. I don't, I don't know which is which is preferable. So with Heartbroken, you guys, you actually put a letter together to the hospital so they would have, you know, our reporting showed this, our reporting showed that. And you actually went through the litany of things so that it wouldn't just be a blank no comment. Like, no, we don't want to comment on the situation. It would be uh, they would understand what the story was going to say, what, what the findings were going to report and give them a chance to, I mean, if there's anything in there they want to respond to, then they can respond. Yeah, exactly. We had reached out to them and we had asked uh, for an interview, as we always do. We had asked for an interview with several of the key players. Um, they declined to sit for an interview, which is their prerogative. When they declined, I, I called the, the spokeswoman and, and said, uh, you know, I really think you should reconsider. And, and here's why I made my case a second time. They declined again. So then we put together a memo that really laid out all of the findings because we didn't want them to feel blindsided. We wanted them to, you know, have it in front of them and then make the decision whether they or not still they wanted to talk to you. Uh, they issued a statement, but they didn't address the, the points. 
you you say uh, seek input from your lawyer. Yes, yes. Uh, our lawyer Allison Steele is is wonderful, um, and and lawyers can be very very helpful. Um, when I was uh, talking about this at the brown bag, I said. And give your lawyer enough time. Please don't ask them to do it overnight. Like, you know, you just have to stay up overnight because uh, because you didn't plan well. Um, but it is important to, to seek input from the from an attorney. Um, and lastly, you say, be transparent with readers. Yes. Um, I love the move towards transparency uh, that we're seeing, especially with data journalism right now. Uh, I really appreciate reporters who include a fact box that, that outlines how they did the reporting, how things were sourced. Uh, I love data stories that really dive deep into the methodology. You know, you can publish your code, you can publish the the raw data, um, you can publish the documents, and I think readers really appreciate that. Um, One point Neil made um, in the brown bag was that because you guys had done so much work on the data and you had analyzed it a lot of different ways and you tried to poke holes in it, um, then he was really prepared to answer questions. So if anybody came at you with, um, you know, you wanted to challenge any of that uh, information, he was ready for it. And you did spell out all the methodology. Here's what we did. So, yeah, we're, you know, you're being open about everything that, that went on. And in the methodology, too, there were points at which we said, um, you might be tempted to think it's wrong because of this reason. But here's why we still think it's right. You know, we've we tried to, <laughs> right, we tried to knock down everything in the methodology and it wasn't in the main bar. So it wasn't like, you know, bogging down um, the, the investigation. But if, you know, if you wanted to go a step further and really dive deep into the methodology, here it is. So you're anticipating naysayers and, yeah. and questions. And- of course. Yeah. Um, it wasn't on your list, but you also mentioned this when, when you were talking about how you generally respond to criticism and feedback, mm-hmm. not just nasty people, but like people who actually have some honest, uh, you know, questions or they're, they're pushing on something. Um, what's the benefit for you? I mean, what do you, what, what has that done? I just, I think readers appreciate when we're transparent about the work that we've done and the, and the process, you know, that we've gone through. And, uh, when there are readers who reach out with questions or with criticism, uh, we should, we should respond to that. And if they point out something that was, was wrong or was flawed, um, you know, we should be open to, to correcting the record and setting the record straight. You know, we're, we're here to, to tell the truth. Sometimes we get it wrong or a little bit wrong. Um, and, and when that happens, we need to accept it and correct the record and, and, you know, keep that commitment to, to the truth. Right. Okay, so if you have a question for Kat, feel free to email it to rightlane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. We'll get it to her. She'll message you back. Um, I will. (laughs) And uh, join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.